All right. Welcome back. Listen, since we've come to air, there's been developments in Ukraine. There are reports tonight of explosions in uh, several Ukrainian cities. We're still getting confirmation of that. Um, we've also heard earlier from uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin, who announced that he was beginning a military operation in eastern Ukraine, did not define exactly what he meant by eastern Ukraine. Uh, as you may well know, there are two provinces in the east uh, that are Luhansk and Donetsk that are, uh, or Donbass, the D Donetsk area, that are in fact under control of um of separatist forces at this point and 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 that those are areas that are under de facto russian control but it appears tonight that he's moving in further than that so to try and analyze again a very fluid situation it's not entirely clear what has begun to unfold uh but to help us understand what is happening i'm joined by alexander lenoshka he's an assistant professor of international relations at the belsili school of international affairs at the university of waterloo thanks so much uh for jumping on tonight i know this is a very fluid situation um but uh what what have you been able to glean from what's unfolding Unfolding uh, in Ukraine tonight. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. I wish that the circumstances were a lot better. Obviously, what is happening right now is quite staggering. I'm stunned. But what we know so far is that there have been explosions reported in various uh, Ukrainian cities, including even the capital city of Kiev, as well as the port city of Odessa. So this extends far beyond eastern Ukraine. Just for a bit of a bit of, I mean, a bit of history here. Um, if you look at what's unfolding tonight, what do you think the plan is? I mean, clearly Vladimir Putin announced this at what was five o'clock in the morning. There, he announced it in the middle of a UN Security Council meeting, and right away we started to hear reports of explosions. So obviously, this was prepared uh, as as a, an attack launch. From from your perspective, what exactly is the plan here? Do you think? So I suppose the most optimistic scenario here is that Russia is launching compellent strikes aimed at trying to coerce Ukraine to, I don't know, uh, recognize Crimea as part of Russia or even uh, those uh, breakaway regions either as independent or as part of Russia. However, precisely because Russia has postured about 150,000 to 190,000 troops near Ukraine's border along various vectors, as well as the very rhetoric that we're hearing from Putin, which smacks of ethnic chauvinism and imperial nostalgia, quite frankly. I think what Russia is trying to do is, in fact, try to aim at perhaps even regime change, quite frankly. Now, it's one thing to try, it's another thing to succeed. Ukraine is a massive country. It's a country of over 40 million people. Uh, and regime change has a very checkered history, but that could very well be the aim here. When you look at some of, I mean, I think what we saw certainly in uh, in, in the Donbass is, is that there will be attacks on what we would consider to be key infrastructure. I think we're hearing reports tonight of gunfire in and around uh, Kiev's main or Kiev's main international airport. Um, would that be the, would that be Putin's strategy to come in and at least try to disable certain parts of the country um, to essentially prevent the Ukrainian army from fighting back? Because he knows that the Ukrainian army has, has already voiced uh, an intent to fight back. Uh, but he's essentially saying, lay down your arms and no one will get hurt. Uh, that's That was his message tonight. Do you see that as being part of his strategy here? I mean, what would be, I don't think many people, I don't think everyone expected him to start actually, um, you know, the, at least we don't know for sure, but to start targeting Kiev. It's a huge city, um, far behind where Russian 
you know, Russian-backed sympathizers are now. Um, what do you think the military strategy is in all this for him? So the military strategy that has been articulated in various official documents is that of non-contact warfare, whereby Russia would engage in long-range strike uh, in order to uh, undermine command control structures that belong to the adversary, in this case, Ukraine. And so the thinking there is that one can shock and awe the adversary and indeed uh, achieve cores of success. However, the response to that sort of strategy is that um, it involves basically hunkering down. It's you know, one thing to uh, launch artillery strikes. It's another thing to grab territory, to hold on to territory, as well as to pacify the population on that territory. So I think what we're seeing right now is indeed the opening phases of this sort of warfare where Russia is going to lean on the so-called non-contact warfare by way of long-range strike and artillery and bombardment. But in order to achieve coercive success, to say nothing of regime change, it will have to move forces into Ukrainian territory. And I think that's where things will get very difficult. The Ukrainian military has made advances since 2014. Obviously, it will not be able to defeat uh, Russia in set-piece battles necessarily, but it can still uh, deny particular campaign objectives. And perhaps it can um, melt into the city, so as to speak, where the fighting would be actually quite gruesome, quite bloody, but would certainly complicate Russia and its efforts to achieve its objectives. I'm speaking with Alexander Lanoshka, Assistant Professor of International Relations at the Bosseli School of International Affairs, the University of Waterloo. Uh, we're discussing a very fluid situation right now in Ukraine. Earlier, uh, just about an hour ago, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin announced that Russia will conduct, quote, a special military operation to, quote, demilitarize Ukraine, uh, de facto declaring of war on a sovereign country. For people, for listeners who may not be familiar, Ukraine is a massive country. There are more than 40 million people there. Kiev is a large city. This is a unprecedented, uh, one would think, unprecedented uh, military move in Europe compared to what we've seen over many, many years. Oh, I don't know if Alexander Lenushka is still there. Oh, I thought just... I thought you were ending the interview. <laughs> oh no, sorry about that. No, go on. I was just again. This is one of those. If you're still watching, I'm also watching Twitter at the same time. I apologize, uh, but just for listeners who don't understand the, the significance of what we've just seen uh, today. I mean, Ukraine is a massive country. This very much has as every opportunity to start something that we have not seen in Europe in a very long time. Right. No. So I guess we've gone accustomed to thinking that warfare is now gray zone and hybrid and that uh, a lot of it is unseen, um, that it happens in the shadows, so to speak, because we can't dare to imagine that we would actually fight with one another using tanks, let alone artillery and so forth. But the fact of the matter is that Russia has decided to conventionalize a conflict that was low intensity. It's certainly a conflict that has seen over 14,000 dead, but over an eight-year period. And I don't want to diminish the severity of the conflict. It's absolutely tragic, especially for those living in eastern Ukraine. But this is a massive escalation, and it is unprecedented, at least with respect to the history of post-45 Europe. Uh, there have been military interventions, of course, in Europe, uh, but usually um, uh, intended to 
suppress particular movements, to get wayward regimes that are in particular uh, Soviet sphere of influence back into um, order, uh, not an effort to annex territory at scale of the sort that we're seeing right now. So this is a, to, a historical, a historically significant moment to be sure. I just want to share a quick quote that was shared by Caitlin Collins. I said just now, President Putin, this is President Joe Biden speaking. President Putin has chosen a premeditated war that will bring a catastrophic loss of life and human suffering. Uh, he says he'll speak tomorrow morning. Tonight, Jill and I are praying for the brave and proud people of Ukraine. Um, there was thoughts about the strategic importance of him trying to build a land bridge to Crimea. And now I spent time in Mariupol. I've spent time in Donetsk. Um, you know, we know what that would look like. Is there any possibility here, do you think? Uh, and we could talk about the Western response in a second, but is there any possibility here that this will be a move forward to move back and consolidate a fairly significant portion of Ukraine, destabilize it permanently, uh, but then withdraw from to a, to a safer spot? That's an optimistic scenario. Uh, right. uh, I, I, you know, there's been talk of having a land bridge of that sort for several years now, as you know. I, I've never really been entirely convinced. And the way that Russian forces are staged or have been staged near Ukraine's borders suggests that, again, the aim is much bigger than trying to have that sort of land bridge uh, consolidated. Uh, and so precisely because we're going to see forces pour in from different directions, including perhaps Belarus, although I've not seen anything to that effect just yet. But because 30,000 Russian soldiers are there, one can presume that eventually they'll be used. Um, that Again, this is something much bigger than a simple land bridge uh, or, or anything that is simply local to eastern Ukraine. Uh, it's a bit astonishing to think. I have trouble grappling with it myself, uh, even though I've been very pessimistic about this entire crisis since at least October of last year. But it's one thing to talk in terms of hypotheticals. It's another thing to actually see it unfold live. Um, but I, I think this is fairly big, and I think this is absolutely a game-changing moment uh, for Europe or for the world for that matter. It's certainly the worst case scenario so far. It is. And I think people are going to be very surprised in Europe when they start waking up in the next few hours. I mean, we, we're going to have to take a quick break for the news here when, of course, we'll be talking more about Ukraine. And I'll, I'll speak to you after the break. But, but quickly, uh, in the last minute, what does the West or what does NATO, what do Ukraine's allies do now? So I think NATO will probably invoke Article 4, which calls on members to meet and to discuss the security set, uh, situation. I imagine Poland or one of the Baltic countries would invoke Article 4, but it really does not matter. Um, once that is invoked, all uh, NATO members would convene in Brussels um, to discuss the developing security situation. Already we have seen various deployments to the region. Uh, in order to reassure allies as well as to bolster deterrence. Canada's made one such announcement just yesterday. All of that is also to manage escalation risks, to contain the co uh, conflict. Obviously, what's happening is terrible, uh, but it's obviously in NATO's interest too uh, that this conflict remains localized to Ukraine. 
I've been speaking with Alexander Lenoshka. He's an assistant professor of international relations at the Belsili School of International Affairs at the University of Waterloo. Um, again, we've been just discussing just the implications of what's happening. Uh, what we've heard so far tonight, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, earlier uh, declared that he would conduct a, quote, special military operation to, quote, demilitarize Ukraine. Um Saying Eastern Ukraine at first, what exactly that entailed wasn't clear. Soon after, reports of explosions from major cities, including Kiev, the capital, obviously Kharkiv, the second largest city uh, closer to Russia, uh, as well as other places such as Odessa, Mariupol, uh, Kramatorsk. These are all cities that have uh, that have relatively that are obviously key cities in Ukraine under attack tonight. Uh, you know, this may be the day. That had been. This was the day that had been warned about uh, the the allies, at least NATO allies, had been warning about for quite a while, and it did meet with a certain amount of resistance and a certain amount of incredulity uh, leading into it. Alexander, uh, what would be an effective Western response or NATO response? You know, your NATO. What would be an effective NATO response now uh, to what's happening? Vladimir Putin's already said anyone who gets involved is going to suffer, uh, you know, se- severe consequences. He said. Right. So. For one, sanctions uh, obviously need to be uh, ratcheted up because clearly those that have been put into place so far have been inadequate and not fit for purpose. Uh, yes, it is true that Russia has um, built up a war chest designed specifically to weather a new series of sanctions, but we need to essentially attrit that war chest down. It cannot uh, last forever. And indeed, uh, I imagine the United States and its allies, including Canada, will probably move on to target actual banks uh, that uh, are more fundamental to the Russian economy. So far, there has been some resistance, um, in part because the Biden administration does not want to affect ordinary Russians. But I, I believe that the sanctions now have to be scaled upwards in order to be commensurate with the level of activity that we're seeing uh, perpetrated by Russia in Ukraine. So that is on the economic side. On the military side, this is obviously very difficult because Ukraine is not a NATO uh, member and so does not benefit from the sorts of assurances that come with that membership. However, there is going to be a very keen interest in having a very strong firewall uh, such that uh, Russia will not be tempted to undertake aggression in the Baltic region or elsewhere along NATO's eastern flank. So I would imagine that we're going to see even more reinforcements of the existing military presence that we have in the Baltic region as well as elsewhere in Europe, like in Romania and in Poland. And I think I will probably even see the NATO response force, uh, rapid force, pardon me, uh, finally uh, see action. has not been um, implemented since its creation. I think the situation now calls for it. Alexander, if, if you're to boil that down, I mean, what does this, what are, are the next 48 hours going to look like? I mean, it feels like we're heading into what could well be uh, a war. In it Europe, is a war. Right. In, it is a war. In 2022. I, Right. No, this has been a war that's been happening since 2014, to be sure. And indeed, 14,000 have already died. Uh, Whole regions of Europe have suffered uh, tremendous economic losses as a result. Uh, There have been 2 million displaced already since 2014. Uh, There are trenches that carve up the landscape in parts of eastern Ukraine. This is really a new phase in this particular war 
it's an escalatory phase to be sure, but it's, it's, uh, it's just part of this larger conflict that we've been seeing unfold since 2014 between Ukraine and Russia. So for the next 48 hours, I suspect Russia will do its best and try to pummel um, various uh, strategic sites um, that um, are useful to Ukraine in terms of command and control. I think uh, you will see um, Russian forces move in and try to take critical uh, pieces of infrastructure like airports uh, and other sites uh, to essentially scramble uh, Ukrainian forces to cause some degree of chaos. I want to think that uh, the Ukrainians understand that this is exactly the sort of playbook uh, Russia will be running in this particular scenario. So their best bet is not to try to fight the war on Russia's terms precisely because of the asymmetries involved. And so Russia might look like it's going to be very successful over the next 48 hours. But if we look back to 2003, when the United States unleashed its shock and awe campaign against Iraq, yeah, it, it looked very impressive, but it was definitely far from the end of the story. So I, I think it'll be too soon to tell, even by Friday night or Saturday morning, rather, uh, as to how this conflict will go. This is simply one phase. It's an escalatory phase, and it's an important one to be sure, but it might be too soon to draw any conclusions about who will win. I'm just trying to think about it. I mean, I spent time in that part of the country in Donetsk and in Mariupol and so on. And the thing about it is that if you were in Kyiv, it felt very isolated from what was happening there. And right now, the entire country, at least the, the major cities in the country, now appear to be dragged into this to this conflict when it was sort of a, let's call it a sort of a static conflict for quite a while in those, in those eastern provinces. But now it, it is certainly now encapsulating a much larger part of the country. And the implications of that are hard to hard to understate. First of all, you have displacement of peoples. We saw that when Mariupol, uh, when Donetsk was taken, the movement of people out of those areas was astounding. And I can't imagine that's not going to happen here. And then just the economic implications as well. I mean, Europe, Ukraine is a massive exporter of many uh, key things, grain specifically, but what kind of impacts are we going to see in the next 24 hours just on the markets um, and so forth, do you think? I haven't seen the futures, but I can't imagine that they're going to be responding to this news very favorably. Uh, I know that when uh, Putin announced that he'll be recognizing Donetsk and Luhansk as independent countries. The Moscow stock exchange fell about 15 percentage points. It rebounded since then, but I think uh, that sort of tells you that within Russia itself, there's a lot of uh, consternation about how this conflict is going to play out. And I think the feeling there is that it could either be really bad or just terrible. Uh, it's not going to go well hmm. for the Russian economy moving forward. I'm speaking to Alec Alexander Lanoshka, Assistant Professor of International Relations at the Balsali School of International Affairs, the University of Waterloo. We're talking about what's unfolding in Ukraine tonight. Vladimir Putin announcing uh, a little more than an hour ago that there would in fact be a military incursion into the into Ukraine uh, to quote unquote demilitarize it, um, essentially declaring war on an independent country. Alexander, you've been watching NATO for a long time. Did we get this completely wrong? Have we been underestimating Vladimir Putin or at least not thinking he would do this for years now because it just seems so outrageous that he would risk going into a into into a hot conflict with a country with his largest neighbor? Some have, uh, some have not. Uh, there are those in NATO who ha who have very strong feelings about Russia and about Vladimir Putin himself. They have seen him as 
uh, revanchist and imperial. And I'm talking mainly those in Poland and the Baltic region. Of course, there are those uh, who don't share those views and those tend to be located further away uh, from uh, Russia's borders, mainly in Western Europe. And I think this is certainly a wake up call for those in Western Europe or those who have been very sanguine about Russia that um, uh, Russia is not a partner. It's just not, not under this regime. It's not a partner under this regime. You, you could do trade with it, but it's very unreliable and, uh, and it does not take part in international negotiations in good faith. Now, that's not to say that the Baltic countries were correct entirely in their assessment of Russia. Funny thing is that um, precisely because Russia did not appear to be achieving its strategic goals in the conflict in eastern Ukraine, that gave hope that if Russia struggled in eastern Ukraine, uh, there's no way that they would move against the Baltics, um, they being Russia, of course. Mm -hmm. but, but I think what we're seeing right now is a profound escalation in the conflict in Ukraine that will absolutely raise alarm bells uh, in those countries that are fairly small, have, have um, inadequate defense forces that can uh, repel a major attack, that rely on NATO. Those countries are going to be beseeching their more powerful allies to do a lot more, both in terms of sanctions as well as providing uh, military support in the form of forward presence. It's always felt like Vladimir Putin's goal here was not just to destabilize and essentially uh, paralyze Ukraine uh, in a permanent way, at least make it a vassal state to Russia, but also to try and divide and conquer the West, the allies, NATO. Uh, how much do you see NATO allies being able to stick together? We've seen some unity so far, far more than I think we expected. Do you think that's going to continue? I think so. I, 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 obviously, there will still be some range of opinions that people will have about Putin. But I think that range has narrowed a lot just in the past few hours. Uh, I think we are under no illusions right now as to what sort of leader we are dealing with in Vladimir Putin. There'll be disagreements about how to proceed and what sort of strategies to adopt and what sort of risks would attend any additional military deployments in Central Eastern Europe. But I suspect that there will be unity, uh, much more so than um, we have seen in previous years. I, in fact, I think Putin has gotten into this crisis thinking that he could divide and conquer Europe. Uh, but I think he has misplayed his hand. He's overreached. I think Germany will probably uh, wake up today or what would be today in their time zone uh, uh, with a very new geopolitical understanding, one that would be much more attuned to the realities. Now, of course, we had a wake up call in 2014, but th this is much more significant in scale and in scope that I cannot help but feel that if 2014 led to some changes in German defense policy, for instance, but not enough. I can imagine now this will probably be uh, uh, a situation where those who have been crying for more um, support for Eastern allies are going to be louder and have a more receptive audience domestically. 
Alexander Lenoshka, um, we're waking up. It's certainly Europe. It's uh, 6.07 or 6.15 in the morning, 6.16 in the morning in Kiev right now. Certainly they're waking up to a new and uh, ominous, perilous day. Thank you so much for your insight uh, tonight in this fast-breaking situation. I appreciate it. And uh, I hope to talk to you soon. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here.